Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Hey, that's, you're wearing a lot of hats. Give him a round of applause. He took pictures and he pushed the button. Man, we got a lot of, lot of really powerful stuff. How was, uh, how was day, let's call this day one. Yesterday's like the, the play-in tournament. Today was the real tournament. Day one is a good day? Yes? Um, let's see here. Usually day one in paintball, someone gets lit up beyond belief. Who got lit up today? Everyone's pointing the same person. One person got lit up today. Congratulations. And uh, you got lit up too? You played? Oh, that's right. They did. They had the afternoon of uh, of stuff going on too. You got lit up as well. Horsies. We rode horsies today, right? How many? Was today your first time on a horse? Anyone today your first time on? Everyone's been there, done that. No big deal. Same old, same old. True story. When I was uh, two years old, I lived on a ranch, and my dad used to break horses, the old school way. Just get on them and hang on for dear life. Uh, and I used to watch it. I still, as a two-year-old, can remember seeing uh, those kind of images there. Uh, just a wonderful thing. So today was, it was fun. It was great. I got to know some of you guys. Some of you looked at me today and said, weren't you the dude that talked yesterday? And yeah, I was the dude that talked yesterday. I'm the dude that's going to talk tonight. I'm the dude that's going to talk tomorrow night. And I'm the dude that's going to talk for a couple of nights. So you can either call me the dude that talks. Or Sam. Sam works too. Uh, a lot of my friends call me Sam. Uh, not Samantha. To go down, to go down that rabbit trail, the, the name Sam has been stolen by this beautiful name Samantha. I have no problem with the name. The problem I have with in my church, there's three or four little cute little Samantha baby girls. And everyone calls them Sam. So what I do hear all the time in church is, oh, Sam is so cute. So I'm okay with that. I hear that an awful lot in my church. So today is a special holiday. Who knows what today is? Everyone raise your hands. I'm going to call on one person. Okay. Today is July 4th. And I feel it's important to kind of take just a brief moment, if you'll give me just a brief moment, so we can talk about the importance of this day. Today today that we celebrate the declaration of our independence. July 4th, 1776, the delegates of the 13 colonies got together, wrote this little letter they call the Declaration of Independence, thus ending British rule. Now, there's a debate that is sitting out there of whether or not our country was founded on Christian beliefs. And I'm not going to settle that debate because you can find arguments on one end of the order. But I can tell you that religion and faith in God played a huge part in the establishment of our country. Perhaps you remember the first part of the Declaration of Independence when it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Many of the founding fathers spoke frequently about their faith. 
John Adams, a founding father and a president of the United States, once said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Basically saying, this is the Declaration of Independence was crafted by religious people for religious people. Now, were the founding fathers perfect Christians? No. Are you a perfect Christian? No. Our country has gone far, far from God. In fact, it took a Supreme Court ruling recently to allow a coach to pray on a public campus. It had to go all the way to the Supreme Court for a coach just to be able to pray on his school campus. Our country has gone far, far away from the Christian values. But I want to share with you something we can still turn back. And I think you young men and young women can and should be a part of our country's revival. And we're going to go into it a little bit later in this week about the importance that you have within the body of Christ. In 2 Chronicles, after King Solomon had finished building the temple, the Lord came to him and spoke to him directly. And he said this, he said, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. Basically what he's saying, when things are looking bad, when I have to withhold because you are away from me. Listen to what he says next in verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And as a country, I think that's what we need to be doing right now. Humble ourselves and pray, pray, pray for this country. I am a proud American. I've had the blessed opportunity to travel literally across the world to see how other countries live, how other countries are governed. I have interacted with people who have grown up in other countries. There is nothing like the freedoms we have in America. Without these freedoms, we do not have this camp, quite simply. Without these freedoms, we do not have the ability to gather together and worship on Sundays without fear of persecution. This is a good country. It could be a great country. We just turn ourselves over to God. All right, soapbox done. Let's move on. Let's do a little recap from last night. I'm sure you guys all have it memorized. That's all you could talk about all day is what the speaker dude said last night. Here's the deal. We are made in the image of God. We talked about three parts, body, soul, and spirit, with the focus on the body being our physical, the soul kind of the, the embodiment of our feelings, emotions, and then our spirit as what is actually the part that is created in the perfect image of God. So we are the image of God. We are special. God formed us. God got his hands dirty when he put man together. God breathed his own breath into Adam, creating uh, this, this perfect life back then. And we have that reflection of that. We are made in his image. The person next to you is also made in the image of God. The one kid who is annoying you to no end because they won't let you sleep, made in the image of God. 
And then also last night we discovered that my son is here at this camp. We still don't know who he is exactly. I'll give you one more hint tonight. He is a camper in one of the boys' camping sections, okay? So I'm going to narrow it down. Each night I'm going to give you a few more details until the last night when I can fully embarrass him. And if you know, keep it to yourself. I don't want him to disown me. By the way, mommy loves you and misses you so much. The, uh, in stark contrast to the way that my children interact with me versus my niece, I saw my niece today and she threw her arms up, came to me and gave me a great big hug. She was so excited, wanted to share with me her, her ice, what are those, uh, snow cones? Which I didn't want, it was nasty. Um, and then I also saw my son today and he saw me. That's about the end of that story, okay. <laughs> Daddy's always watching. All right. So tonight we're going to go a little bit further into our illustration with the tapestry, and we're going to talk about the weaving, how we work together, and how each one of us plays a part, something that is much, much bigger than ourselves. I want to share with you a little story from history. Now, I love history. I really do. I love learning about history. What I hate is having to take a test on history. If I don't have to remember dates and all I can remember is the fun things, I'm all in on it. The moment you put a quiz in front of me, I quit. I'm out. I hated it in school, didn't like it. Now that I'm an old man, I love history. So we're going to go back to the early century, 55 BC. Julius Caesar is leading the invasion of the south coast of Britain. And he meets this resistance from this group called the Celtics. And there's a constant battle between these two forces. There's a battle for Roman control and extends all the way into the land that is now known as Scotland. And this conquest in the Romans' attempt to take over took over 30,000 of the Celtics' lives. But this victory was very, very short-lived because the surviving Celtics, the surviving clansmen, constantly... Were, were causing little battles. They were calling, causing little bits of guerrilla warfare, constantly fighting against the occupiers. So a few years later, now we're jumping forward to 112 AD, the emperor of Rome at the time, Emperor Hadrian, he ordered a wall to be built to separate the Romans from the barbarians of the north. And this wall was going to span from coast to coast. This wall is going to cut them off. We're going to cut the Romans from the south, from the, uh, the Celtics to the north. This wall spanned about 80 miles from coast to coast. This wall was up to anywhere up to 15 feet tall in most places. It was 10 foot wide. This is a giant wall. Every third of a mile, there was a tower. Every mile, there was a gate and every seven miles, there was a fort. And much of that wall stands today. It is a physical feat to be able to put this thing together, and it was put up really, really fast with the intent of keeping people out. Back in Paul's day, remember Paul from the Bible, back in Paul's day, there was a barrier, a wall that was built that was even stronger than that one. There was a wall that was built between God's people 
and the Gentiles of the day. Uh, the Gentiles were the people who were not part of that religious community. I'm going to show you a picture up here of the, the temple in Jerusalem with its outer, you see in there there's an outer court of Gentiles. They are separated multiple times away from getting inside there. There's an inner Jewish women's section, and then there's an inner Jewish men's section, and then we have the priestly area. In 1871, archaeologists, uh, during, a dig, during a dig, found a dividing wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the court of, of the women, and on that wall was a sign that read, no foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. So if a Gentile went beyond where they were supposed to be, it was their fault that they were killed. That's basically what they're saying. This is a barrier of great ethnic prejudice. And the sad part is that God was intent on using his chosen people, the Jewish nation, to bless all the nations on the earth. If you look at the promise that he gave to Abram in Genesis 12, he said, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. When it says all the families of the earth, what do you think that means? All the families of the earth. Very simple. They are to be a light to the nations. This thing is driving me nuts. Is it killing you? It's killing me. You're doing a great job listening there. Don't fall asleep. Front row, that'd be so embarrassing. Isaiah 49.6. He says this, it is a light, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserve of Israel. Listen, I will make you as a light for the nations. Why do you need light? Why do we need light? To show the way, right? We need light in the darkness. We need light to be able to show us what is the correct path to take. The Jewish nation was supposed to be, the light supposed to be welcoming, and then they build this wall, and they say, stay out. Someone once said, I don't, have, I don't know who to attribute this to, it said, prejudice is a lazy person's substitute for thinking. Figuratively, the wall comes down in today's chapter. We're going to continue to explore, and here's the key point. We are all welcome in God's family. And we're going to look at some scriptures and look at some things that Paul used to describe who we once were. And we're going to go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. We're going to spend a lot of time in and out of that throughout this week in the book of Ephesians. But I want you to look at what we were. Before we were with Christ, what we were. He lists them off. He says, look, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenant of promise. And here's the big one. Having no hope. And without God. If you look throughout the Old Testament, 
the, the Jews were God's chosen people, the same as they still are today, even though many of them don't even realize it. The rest of us, we are far away. We are separated from Christ. We are excluded from citizenship in God's family. We are without hope. We're without God. That's where we're at without God. And Paul shares with us these negative things about our outsider status, but then he starts verse 13 with two words, but now. Something's changed. Once we come to Christ, something changes. In fact, everything changes when you come to Christ. And I want you to see what he says about our status now. There's a lot of verses up there. But in verse 13, he says, we are brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 15, he says we are a part of a new humanity. Verse 16, he says we are reconciled to God. Verse 18, he says we are accessing the Father by one spirit. Verse 19, he says we are fellow citizens with God's people. Again, he says members of God's household. And in verse 22, he says we are being built together to become a dwelling where God lives. And in contrast of the two two positions, Remember, one, we are without God, we are without hope. And then in the second part, he says, but now, now that you are with Christ, you are dwelling together where God lives. Paul's saying, I want you to remember, remember where you were before Christ. Remember how far Christ has brought you. And we're going to talk about three things. And tonight, I'm pretty much aiming this at you, believer. Those of you who have taken Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, I want to challenge you tonight. For those of you that are still questioning, this is still good to listen to because you're going to get to see. You can bring that on up here. That's fine. Check. We'll figure this out. Okay. So we're going to talk about three. I want three things. We're going to talk about what it is to be in the family of God. The first thing, the first point, we have to understand as believers, what unites us is greater than what divides us. And this, I've heard this saying an awful lot. I've heard it, uh, you hear it in movies, you hear it in sermons. And even though you hear it, it's so radically true, especially when we start talking about the church. And the thing that unites us as believers is Christ himself. Look at Ephesians 2.14. For he himself is our peace, talking about Christ, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, broken down in his flesh, the wall of hostility. The way, believer, the way to find our unity is in and through Christ. Christ is our peace. Christ is our hope. Christ is the one who has come and destroyed and demolished all these insignificant barriers that we put between us. Our nation as a whole has struggled with race relations. Our nation struggles in politics. We are a divided nation in so many ways. Yet on our coin, on our coins, if you look at your monies, e pluribus unum. Does anyone know what that means? E pluribus unum, out of many, one. 
It's the vision of our founding fathers. It should be our vision today. Out of many, one, we are all together. The church should be leading the way in unity. Yet, unfortunately, uh, we are so divided even as a church. Even as believers in this space, there's division. Sadly, in the 60s, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was once quoted as saying that Sunday morning, the 11 o'clock hour, is the most segregated hour of the week. Churches should reflect the diversity of our communities. Churches should be a place where our skin color doesn't matter. Churches should be a place where the size of our bank account does not matter. Church should be a place where our image does not matter. Church should be a place where our past does not matter. Church should be a place where our favorite pizza toppings does not matter. Unless it's pineapple, get out of my building. Pineapple is nasty. There should be no division in our churches. When we allow Christ to rule in our hearts, we will be united with others who are allowing Christ to rule in their hearts. Doesn't matter our skin color, doesn't matter our wealth, doesn't matter our background, doesn't matter our quirks. We are a family. So what unites us is greater than what divides us. And the second point is we belong to something so much greater than ourselves. Over the last three weeks, yeah, three weeks, I got the opportunity to attend two different funerals. Opportunity. The first one was of my, my best friend from junior high and high school, my age, just a couple months older, uh, un, unexpected death. And I was very convicted during this process because I kind of knew that he didn't know Christ. Radically changed the way I perceive my relationship with others. Uh, over the last three weeks, it's just something I've been struggling with. Because I'm your age, well, we're best friends, right? We're, how many of you guys, 10? We're above 10. That's the other group. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. He was my best friend. We only grew apart when we went to different colleges. I went to a Christian college. He didn't. What I was convicted with, as I'm hearing all these stories about him, and, and everyone's talking about how great a guy he was, and he was a good guy. He was a great guy. He was a give you the shirt off his back kind of guy, and then take you to the store to buy more shirts kind of guy. A great, great guy. Always was. The reason why um, we were friends is because he was such a great guy. When I moved in uh, fifth grade, I moved from Wyoming to Connecticut, and I had such a heavy, heavy accent that the people could not understand me in school. He was the one person that came up to me and befriended me that first year, and we were best friends for that whole time. I remember inviting him to church events. I remember asking him to come with me to all these rallies that the church would have, all these big special events, all these things. 
And during these events, they would always present the gospel, have an altar call, um, sign this, and, and that you'll go to heaven kind of deal. And I let the church present the gospel to my best friend. He knew I went to church. He knew I believed in God, but I let that be. His funeral was one of the saddest moments of my entire life. Because I'm living with regret for not sharing the gospel with him. And everyone in that room is living with regret that he's dead and gone, and they don't know what's next. And I went to this funeral. I'm a pastor now. I went to the funeral, and I said, God, if I get the opportunity, let me be bold. Let me share the gospel. And God, if someone asks me, where do I think he is, don't let me say hell. I didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But I, I, I honestly believe, unless God reached out to him, that this good, good person left behind a, a good reputation. But I don't ever, I don't see anything that says he accepted Christ. Three days after that, I went to another funeral. One of the seniors in our church passed away. Loved the Lord. This guy was a good, good person. Loved the Lord. Funeral was a completely different vibe. It was a party. I mean, a genuine party. People were so excited to be able to get the opportunity to come together and to be able to share what he did in their lives. How he would constantly talk about Christ. How he was always playing. Like He could play like a million instruments. He was always playing worship music. If there's a room with a piano, he would play piano. If there's a room with a guitar, he would play guitar. It didn't matter what, he would pick it up, and he was always talking about his God and his wife. That's what you see. He would talk about God and his wife. Those are his two things. He had four sons and a daughter, all of them following the Lord based on his uh, example. Everyone was thrilled because he is no longer hurting. He is now in heaven. He is now celebrating. We understood where he was. Two completely different vibes. Both very good people, very generous people. One obviously knew the Lord. They have different legacies that leave behind. This older man, he's got his four kids. He's got, I don't know, 19 or 20 grandkids. All of them are pursuing Christ, or at least are fully aware of who Christ is. When we pass away, do you want a legacy? You want to be remembered? Very few of us think, oh, I'm just good here, and I don't care if anyone, no one thinks of me ever again. We all want to be remembered. Hey, selfishly, I want you guys to remember my name tomorrow. It's Sam, by the way. We all want to be a part of something great. We all want to have a legacy, something that is going to outlive us. And there is no greater legacy than serving Christ. God doesn't just put us here for his entertainment. God doesn't put us here because he, he wants to play around and see, see what kind of trouble he, we can get into. God has us here for his purpose, his kingdom-building purposes. God's in the construction business. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. You are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, 
in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple to the Lord. God has planned a building project that incorporates you and me in this great structure. It includes the apostles. It includes the prophets. And most importantly, it includes Christ himself. Hebrews 12.1 talks about this great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us that are cheering us from heaven. These are pillars of the faith who have gone on before us. This is the legacy that we get to be a part of. We, believer, we are interconnected with them. Our lives are connected together through Christ, the head of the body. Men and women, young men, young women, if you know Christ, you belong to the church. And as messed up as the church can be at times, it is still God's greatest tool for winning the lost, for shining the light of God's love and compassion and forgiveness. It is God's tool for bringing the kingdom of heaven right now into this sin sinful world. Christ died for the church. That means we should live for each other. We should allow Christ to live through us. We should understand that we live, we belong to something much greater than ourselves. What unites us is greater than what divides us. And lastly, we need to glorify God through our unity. I want to show you Ephesians 2.22. says, In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul says this amazing thing in verse 22. You remember, you remember the courts, the picture of the temple that I showed you and all the different layers that were up there, the Gentiles, the women, the, and the, oh, you guys are quick. Well done. Remember all this stuff? Now, in, this, in these courts, in this temple, there was a place that was separated from everything. It was a special place. It was known as the Holy of Holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. This is where the, the tablets, which God had described the Ten Commandments on. This was where Moses' staff. This was the dwelling place of God on earth in the Holy of Holies. It was this curtain that separated everyone from the Holies of the Holies. This curtain that was torn at the moment that Christ died, his death on the cross for our sins. That curtain tore in two, opening up access to God's dwelling place for us all. And then Paul says in this, verse 22, says we are being built together. Look at that word, being. It is active. Construction is not complete yet. We are being built together to become this dwelling place where God's Spirit is going to live. And we know that the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. Yet somehow... The Spirit of God is such a beautiful thing, so unique. The Spirit of God is actively working to build us all together. If we look at the tapestry, the last slide, we look at the tapestry, and we remember this is, this is not a few bits of string that are thrown together. This is thousands and thousands, maybe hundreds and hundreds of thousands of different strings coming together to make one giant, beautiful picture. Ephesians chapter 2 is about bringing down the walls that are between us. It's about becoming one with one another through Christ. 
And all of this, all of this happens only, only if we each individually become one with Christ. You're only going to find reconciliation once you reconcile yourself with Christ, when we are walking with the Lord Jesus. Have you guys ever had a problem with another believer? Don't raise your hands. Y'all should be raising your hands. When you love Jesus, he's going to enable you to love your neighbor as yourself. When we realize that we are not saved by faith alone, we are saved through Christ, we understand that that same salvation, that same grace that God extended to us, guess what? He did the same thing for your neighbor. And if you can look at them in those eyes, that, hey, you are an image of God. You are someone that Christ died for. You are someone that God loves. When we can look at our fellow believers with that mindset, with those eyes, then truly we have a church that starts coming together. We start weaving together this beautiful tapestry that honors and brings great glory to God. And listen, when Christians start truly, truly loving and caring for each other in God's spiritual building, in God's the, the, the global church, when we start truly loving each other in this building where Christ is our cornerstone, remember we're being built on the prophets, we're being built on the prophets and the apostles that gone before us. When we allow Christ to work through us, something beautiful happens. We talked about how our country right now, if we were to step back and look at it, is far from a Christian nation. We need the church in unity, we need brothers and sisters in Christ to come together and shine a light that is so ridiculously bright that they cannot help but see Christ in us. And when the church is healthy, when we're looking and walking together as brothers and sisters, loving one another as God intended, when the church is healthy, alive, and active, God is glorified and people are drawn to him and to the ultimate purpose that he wants for us, which is eternity in heaven, souls saved. And you can be a big, big part of that. We're going to expand a little bit more on that tomorrow. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, we are so mindful of your intent and your purpose for us. You desire to have us work together, to be a part of one big family, to be a, a unit that is working and striving together to, to not just glorify you, not just uh, bring you praise, but also to draw others to you. God, may those who profess to know you this week unify and, and build bonds with each other so that those who are still seeking after you will see a love, will see uh, a family that they want, that they need to be a part of. As we continue to discover who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, may those who have already taken you as Lord and Savior build on that and celebrate that with each other. God, you didn't have to work with us, but you did, and we're so grateful for it. Your love is beyond comprehension. May you be glorified. It's your great holy name we pray. Amen. 
We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.